Isn't it wonderful that the Master bids us draw near? It's because of Him. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I have a simple title for the message. Very simple, and yet very profound. Uh, I'm afraid that um, much as I've tried, I've only only begun to scratch the surface, and I'll try to share that with you. But the title is Church. Simply that, Church. And what goes through your mind when you think of church? When you got up this morning, if you have children at home, you got them out of bed and said, you know, let's go to church, didn't you? Or maybe you were thinking about this last night, we're getting ready for the Sunday school lesson for church tomorrow. Or Maybe it was, you know, back a little further, we're thinking of there's church cleaning and so forth. Let's look at Matthew 16, 18. Actually, I'd like to start at 13. It's called Peter's Confession of Faith. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered it and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, Petros, little rock, and upon this rock, upon myself, Christ Jesus, I'm adding this in here, I believe, is a biblically correct uh, description of this verse. And upon this rock, Christ Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you read the news, uh, you'll see that churches are some are growing and some are failing. If you read about the news, if you read about churches in England, uh, one of the things that's happening over there is the Anglican Church is closing many of its doors because there's just not members there. They're closing the church doors, and 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 people some are applauding the decision, and others are sad about the decision. And this has been going on for some time. Um, they simply don't have the members and the support. And, and many of these churches are ending up being turned into clubs, nightclubs, um, and all sorts of other nefarious sorts of businesses. Um, others might be used for, for maybe, maybe there's good, good uh, uh, soup kitchens and the, the humanitarian causes. But overall, the church is as it was built for there, these churches that they were built for there are, are closing their doors, many of them. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the idea is left or is asked, uh, is, the church, is the church closing its door? Is the church failing? Well, here Jesus is talking to Peter, and it enters into a scene when... Uh, 
there's entrenched Judaism. Uh, the Pharisees have their hierarchy set up. The scribes and all the rest, they've got everything set in place. Everything's kind of going along to their uh, way of thinking, how they've set it up for their own purposes. And uh, Jesus enters the scene and he's, he's you know, the, he's, he's churned their whole system. Um, and, and people are talking about him. The common man is talking and saying, hey, you know, he, he turned water into wine. He brought bread to us when we were hungry out there on the hillside. He gave us fish. Uh, he healed our sick. He healed my mother, my sister, my father. Um, there's something different about this man. Just listen to his teaching. It, it's different from anything else that I've ever heard or we've ever heard. It has power, it has authority. And, and here Jesus is asking, you know, people saying, well, who is this man? John the Baptist talked about him. And he said he's going to be a great man. John, John the Baptist is dead now. Elijah was a great man. Um, is he one of the prophets? And uh, so Jesus just throws out the question to his disciples, and Peter answers right back. He says, Thou art the Son, uh, thou art the Christ, if I can find it here. Uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He just comes right back to Jesus with this answer. And Jesus says, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock will I build my church. Well, the churches are closing their doors in England. They're closing their doors in other places. But the church that Jesus built is not closing its door. It's not closing its door. Its door is still wide open. It's expanding. It's growing. And it's a completely different church from big buildings and cathedrals. Um, not to say that those are wrong, but that was never the church. Those constructions were never the church. This building is, was never the church. Um, not the church of Christ. Not the church he died for and gave his life for. He didn't die for buildings. He died for people. And that's the church. I'd like to read 1 Corinthians or look at 1 Corinthians 12. The real definition of church. Turn with me to there. I'll not read the whole chapter for sake of time, but maybe I'll start into uh, verse 12 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Whereas the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set members, every one of them, in the bodies that it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body in Christ. Now I cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, 
I've no need of you, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lack, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. He goes on talking about the different gifts and the different functions in the body. Then I'd like to look at Galatians or Ephesians 2 talks about the building of Christ. I think I'll start with just read 20 through 22. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together growth until a holy temple unto the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit, for a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. So this is two metaphors that Jesus gives, that one of the, the human body and that of, the, of a building. Um, two, how would you say, different, uh, the body being an organism, a building being a structure, but these all need their different parts to create the body, to create the, here I'll insert, the church of Christ, the building of Christ. In the building of Christ, of course, we start with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ being that. And then the whole building is built up from there. So universally, the, the church, universally speaking, the church is the body of Christ and it's the building of Christ. The redeemed, the purchased one of Christ, like it says in Revelations 5, 9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hath redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, out of every tongue and people and nation. That's the church, the universal church. Those who have been redeemed of Christ. Those who identify with Christ by their word and deed and testimony. Romans 10.9 If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Those who identify with Christ, those are the church. Those are assembly of, of Christ. You know, we should be thinking, and, and I know that it just comes naturally for us to say we're going to go to church. But we should be thinking if we're going to go to worship with the church. We're going to go to worship with the church. Like I said, Christ didn't suffer and die for this building. He suffered and died for us as people. We're the church, sinful people who needed 
a Redeemer, a Savior, who needed, who needed to be brought into the body, made part of the vine. So the meeting of the church, what's its purpose? Why do we come together to meet? And these are some questions that went through my mind that felt like I needed to refresh in my mind. Why do we need to go to church? You know, it's been said, people are saying, well, the church is becoming irrelevant. Um, you know, anything, everything that people need, they can get by using their credit card on the, in the internet, and they don't need to go to church anymore. Well, here I am maybe uh, contradicting myself. I said, we're the church. But going to church is really synonymous with the church meeting together, isn't it? Um, I think there's something that we physically need to be in contact with each other. We need to see each other. We need to be able to talk to each other. Uh, I think Christ designed it that way. We're social beings, and, and we, we have need of, of being, of the bonding that comes by being together in worship. But what is the purpose for meeting, for the church meeting together? There's only one purpose, right? And that's to glorify Christ. To be instructed in the word. To strengthen and be strengthened by the local brotherhood. The mutual encouragement of the saints. Those are the reasons for coming to church, for assembling. Uh, to, and all of those come together to lift Christ up. To glorify Christ. To think of the the uh, church right in, in Acts when Peter was put into prison and, and the church was meeting in a home. They were praying for Peter. They were praying for his release. Of course, we know the story how that Peter was released miraculously. He went and he knocked on the door. A young lady came to the door and, and Peter said, let me in. And she was so surprised that she uh, just went running back and told her friends, her fellow church that, you know, he's at the door and they didn't believe him and Peter kept knocking. Of course, they did let him in then, but, you know, that's, that's a beautiful function of the church right there, that encouragement of the saints, the intercession there that they did for Peter. I think another one is to, for us to encourage each other in good works. To think of that as related to our Sunday school lesson this morning, listening to that lesson on giving and reaching out, meeting the needs of those around us and, and the needs of the universal church. We have at our disposal ways of, of meeting needs of the universal church that we've never had before. Uh, we can help out people that are reaching out to people that are uh, beaming the gospel to people that are meeting the people via uh, internet even and that are you know physically helping people we can do that with a click of the button in a way that we couldn't even 10 years ago and of course there's conventional means of doing it we have the mail but what I'm saying is there's the universal church there's people out there uh, Christ has his people who are saved, who are born again, who are in the family, in his family, his church, that 
he may call to ask us to help. And we need to encourage each other in that. To encourage each other to a closer walk with Christ by our own personal commitment to purity, our love for Christ and, and our good works. I'm not talking about a pious sort of thing, you know, watch, watch me how I do this, and, and uh, that, that sort, of, uh, sort of arrogant. But I'm talking about by being encouraged by each other's commitment to Christ. I've been encouraged often by watching my fellow church, uh, how they relate to life, how they relate to situations, how they give testimony, and it's helped me to, to uh, grow in my own Christian walk. And I think we have that responsibility to, just by the essence of our life, to encourage others. And, and uh, not arrogantly say this, but be able to say, like Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ. Simply because of our, our way of life, our love for Christ. The church rejoices in its salvation. In Acts 2, I, I enjoyed reading that. I was challenged by that. These people here, you know, they were meeting there after the Pentecost. They gladly received the word. They were baptized. There were added many, many souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of the bread and prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Uh, they had all things in common. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. Now, I found that interesting. Uh, so I was studying this, you know, the early church there, they were still meeting in the temple. And the temple was, wasn't a uh, friendly place for Christians, as we know. At least not uh, a little later on. And I think even then it was pretty hostile to Christians. And yet they, they went and they met daily in the temple. God must have surely, you know, put a hedge about them for a while while they were getting established there. Um, but it's also, they had, had a boldness in just going and meeting. And it says, praising God, verse 47, Acts 2, 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church should be rejoicing in its salvation. Not just, um, we need teaching, we need doctrinal teaching, we need to be uh, builded in our, in our uh, understanding of the word. We need to reach out. We need to be involved in whatever God calls us to be involved in, but we also need to be rejoicing in our salvation. The church needs to be doing that. Uh, we need to encourage each other in doing that because once we lose that, we really don't have a reason for any of the rest of, of what we should be doing. Or if we lose that, and God forbid that we lose that, rejoicing in our salvation. We're partakers of the inheritance of Christ. That's the church. It's the partakers of the inheritance of Christ. And I take that from Colossians 1. Beautiful passage that just puts the lordship of Christ all into one package and gives it to us. Uh, and I'd like to read that. Colossians 1.12. 
giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, through Christ's blood, even the forgiveness of sins, whom is the image of the invisible God, so by Christ we see the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things are kept in their being. You know, this universe isn't just going into pieces. The, 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 the tenor of the stars and, and whatever's happening out there in space. We're not getting hit by asteroids this morning because there's someone that's keeping that in place. Now, that's not saying that, that, uh, he's a, that Christ isn't able to let that happen or that he won't let that happen to, for, a, for a purpose, but if it does, it will have happened with his control, within his control. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence or be the first. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And that ends the sentence there. By him... I say, whether they be things in earth or, in th or things in heaven, all these things are reconciled unto himself, unto Christ. And then it talks about us, the church, who are sometimes alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So Christ has, through his death, has brought us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. It's not by any other means that we can come into his sight, into the sight of God uh, like this, unblameable and holy, sanctified, except through the death of Christ, except through his grace through his power. Christ loves the church. We often hear this passage, it's Ephesians 5.25, we often hear it used as a passage in wedding sermons, but I think it's good to look at it flip side. Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Christ did this for the church, to sanctify it, to bring it pure unto himself. This is us. These are the people of Christ. 
you know, as, as the bride, as the pure, lovely bride looks up to her, her husband, uh, you know, shouldn't much more we as the church, as the, as the bride of Christ, look up, you know, with, with awe and admiration at, at Christ and what he's done for us? So much more. The church's, responsibi- the church's responsibility, we are to teach, we are to baptize. And that's taken from Matthew 28. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then Christ says, I'll be with you even unto the end. It's our responsibility to move out, to take initiative, however God calls us to. It may not be going across the world. It may not even be, uh, you know, going very far away from home. But I think by our life, um, God will God will bring the opportunities for us to to teach to bring people, to show people the way to him. And I had to think of this prison opportunity. It's, I think, a good opportunity to teach, to bring people to Christ, into the church, into the body of Christ. So the true church, no, we've, we've often heard, at least uh, I have heard talk of the true church. I, I spent time in Belize and also in Romania. In Belize we had um, the Catholic Church there and Romania, the Eastern Orthodox Church. And I heard a lot of talk about the one true church. Well, I agree there is only one true church, and I'm sure that you agree with that. There is only one true church. And every person in this world is either part of that one true church or is not part of it. I believe that. I don't believe there's a middle ground. And how do we know if we're part of that one true church? Just a few ways or indicators from the Bible. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, when we're passing from death to life, that's talking, we can go back to where Jesus says, you must be born again, born spiritually. So here it says, we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So it's impossible to be part of the true church if we hate our brother. That's an impossibility. Now that's not saying that we won't be tempted to hate our brother. It's not saying that we'll not have struggles. Uh, But I do believe that when we pass from death to life that we'll be 
putting that behind us. We'll be claiming the authority of Christ and the, the, and the power of Christ in, in dealing with that, that problem. And we'll be moving above that. Another, another indicator is if we keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. But this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Well, this is... Interesting here, John reinforces himself several times here. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him also that begotten of him. And this is how we know when we love God and we keep his commandments. And then he says again, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Then he says again, his commandments are not grievous. They're not too much. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Our faith, our willingness to believe God even when it's difficult. Our willingness to move ahead even when it might not seem to make sense. Have you ever done that? Moved ahead? Uh, Moses, I'm sure, is, is a good case in point. You know, he could have said, well, God, you know, if these waters don't part for me, it's just a sign that I'm not supposed to be doing this. I must not be hearing your voice. Well, he didn't do that. When God told him, Moses, you know, go put your rod, you know, step into the water, put, put that rod down. Uh, he moved ahead. And when they crossed the Jordan River, Joshua there again, until the high priest stepped into the water, the waters didn't part. It's a moving in faith, a stepping on and trusting that God will do his part. Even our faith, that's what overcomes the world. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So much there about identifying with Christ, believing that he's the Son of God, believing in his authority. Now, there are some people who are charlatans. They identify with Christ, um, but may use it for their own purposes, and, and it ends up not being the best. And I uh, ran across this in the Seven Sons of Siva, this bit of commentary, and I had to think of this. You know, even we can, be, can become charlatans. We can become... Um, it's easy enough for us who are born so-called into the family of God, and I, I trust that's what it is, but it's easy enough for us to, to take every, use all these advantages that come to us and, and use them for our own personal gain, use them for our own personal stepping stone. Well, the, these uh, seven sons of Siva, that's what they did when Christ came around. They were sons of a scribe or a rabbi and, and in a sense made themselves shysters and shucksters in, in the work of Christ. Uh, they identified with Christ but were really not his. Acts 19.13 says, 
Then certain of the vagabond Jews, they were watching, these seven, seven sons of Siva were watching uh, the apostles cast out demons and do this sort of thing. Peter and Paul. And uh, I, I suppose that maybe their father was an exorcer. Uh, they, they had those sorts of people. And you know, maybe the sons were, were following after. They saw there was a power here that was greater than what they had. Anyways, this is what they did. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them, and vagabond wouldn't, wouldn't really give you a, a good feeling about these men, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth, preacheth, and there were seven sons, one Siva, a Jew, and a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell in, all of, in them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified." So here were some people, some sons, who took on themselves to identify with Christ in a sense, but were really not of Christ. And, and the evil spirits answered this way, you know, Jesus we know, uh, Paul we know, but who are you? There was an interesting commentary on this that I thought was worth, worth reading. F.B. Meyer has an amusing comment on this, which is worth quoting. When the sons of Siva started on the demon, he turned on them and said, You little dwarfs, you Lilliputians, who are you? I know Paul. I know you. I've never heard about you before. I'm sorry, I know Paul. I don't know you. I've never heard of you before. Your name has never been talked about down in hell. No one knows you, nor about you outside of this little place of bit of a place called Ephesus. Yes, and there's a question that was put to me today. Does anyone know of me down in hell? Do the devils know about us? Are they scared about us? Are they frightened by us? Or, they, or do they turn upon us? When we preach on Sunday or when we visit in the streets or take our Sunday school class, the devil says, I don't know you. You're not worth my powder and shot. You can go keep on doing your work. I'm not going to upset hell to stop you. He's asking this question, you know, is the devil say that about us? Are we worth him, you know, upsetting hell about? Um, I know that may sound a bit extreme, but I think there's a real truth there. Are we, are we known um, even by the, by the devil as someone who's really part of the church, part of the body of Christ? What does identifying with Christ mean for us? Is it something we can take or leave, you know, at our own will? If it is, it's really not true. It's really, we, we just, we can't be born again and then just simply leave it at will and then take it back up again. It's, it's much too, too uh, complicated 
for us to do that. And two, too, it takes too much commitment for us to do that. You know, it should be part of our DNA. You know, that new birth, it's something that comes in our DNA and, and it, it actually makes us what we are. Well, I wanted to bring this to a close. I'd like to leave this on, leave with this note, identifying with Christ. The church identifies with Christ. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus out of Romans 10.9 and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, it's possible for us to have our name on the church register of a godly brotherhood, of a godly congregation, and not really identify with Christ. And that's a question I'd like to leave. Are we really, are you really identifying with Christ? To your family, in your workplace, to your brotherhood, to the people you hang out with. You know, are you demonstrating by, the, by your character, your language, your spirit, your clothing, your way of life, that you're part of universal, the true church, the body of Christ. You know, is everything we're doing glorifying Christ? I trust that we're not glorifying self and expecting to somehow identify with Christ. It's not going to work. But rather the church, and I trust that we're doing that, and if we're not, we can be there by the grace of Christ. We can be demonstrating, we can be identifying with Christ, confessing Christ. That's what the true church does and is doing, is going to do. Its doors are going to stay open even if the church doors are nailed, even if the building doors are nailed shut, that will happen. It's the true church's doors will stay open. Christ is there to receive all. Praise the Lord.